What's unexpected is, is right now they're not able to get into the prisons in Bev Shared. That's been a, uh, uh, there's like eight or nine different prisons that they go into on a regular basis. And they've been doing Zoom meetings with the churches that are in these prisons, and, but haven't been able to go in in person. And they're still allowed to come and pick up inmates and transport them to the hospital and get them the care that they need. As a matter of fact, one of the OCs, the wardens there, said that they were losing, before uh, Calvary Chapel, um, and uh, called Christians Ministry, the, the missions organization that we support there, before they started doing their hospital ministry, they were losing three to six um, inmates a day, a day, to things that, infections and pneumonia, things that we just go to the doctor and get treated for. Well, they have no medicines, they have no doctors. And so um, last year, I think you said, was it three? They lost three inmates all year long. And so we can see this great reduction in death and, and the life that God brings uh, through that ministry there. But um, he so appreciated the work of, of called Christians over the years, Calvary Chapel Ginger there, that he opened up, both wardens opened up the prisons that we were at and allowed us to go in and teach. And the cool thing about it is, in the past, what they've done is, is there's an area where they hold church for the Christians who want in prison that want to come and be taught and ministered to and do worship. Well, in both prisons, they open up the whole complex. And, and um, the first one, it wasn't like mandatory attendance, I don't think, but there was still a few hundred guys um, that came and were on a loud system. And the way that it's set up is, is if you're there, you're going to hear it. There's no way to escape it because of the way the prisons are set up. It's, it's general population, everybody's together. Um, it's, it's, it's a little sketchy when you've never been in that situation before to be surrounded by all of these guys. They don't have like bad guys over here and kind of bad guys here and not so bad guys here. It's like they're all together. And, um, and so that was really cool. And we gave an altar call at the end and I think three or four people received the Lord. At the second prison that we went to, the OC, the warden was so appreciative of being there is that he left his office when we came there, walked through the complex with this, this open-air complex that's fenced in and walled in, and, and all of the inmates, all about, well, there were some that were still cooking food, but there was over a 1,000 inmates that he gathered together and set them down in this open-air courtyard, um, and we were up on this little platform, and, um, which I was, it was really, made me really nervous, actually, because I thought, oh, we're going to be doing church with the 50 to 70 guys I'm used to, and all of a sudden there's a 1,000 men of all faiths and some of no faith at all who um, I got to teach to. And, and, um, and uh, we, we preached, and I shared God's word and gave an altar call at the end, and somewhere around between 40 or 50 men stood up and received the Lord during that time. So it was a really, really cool, cool experiences like that, um, unexpected things. One thing that I've learned about doing missions um, in, in other places is you have to be flexible. You, you can have a plan, but God's got a different plan, and you'll miss out on what he has if you're not um, open for what he's got. But thank you for his prayers, or your prayers. One last thing, we had to have a COVID test in order to leave. It's a private testing facility that works with the Ministry of Health of Uganda. And um, I thought Aaron might share this, but we, 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 got, we drove from northern Uganda about a seven and a half hour drive back down to the airport, and uh, there was two different tests that you can get, one that you paid for that was like a incredible amount of money, and you could get it back in six hours, and another one that would take 12. Well, we had 14 hours before our flight was leaving, so we figured, we'll just take the 12-hour test. Certainly, that's like, 
you'll get it back sometime before the 12 hours. We were flying out at 4.20 in the morning, and um, 1.30 rolls around, and we get our shuttle to the airport, and we still don't have an email saying we got a, a negative COVID test. So I'm starting to get a little nervous. They won't let us into the airport. They set us outside in a tent, and um, every, like, every like 30 seconds, we're checking our email. No, 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 no. And um, it's past the 12-hour period of time. I, I reach somebody there at the testing facility, the Ministry of Health. I don't know who I'm talking to. I can barely understand them. They can barely understand me. And they're, they, they're like, oh, we found, we found your test. Um, you both tested positive. I'm like, we got like two hours to, to catch an international flight. I'm like, positive, both of us? I'm like, we don't, and I'm sure she didn't understand a word I said, but I'm like, we have no symptoms. I don't have a fever, I don't have a cough. I'm, I'm trying to convince her over the phone. But, um, and the, the systems there are corrupt. So I think overall, I think that they were vibing for some kind of bribe or something. And anyway, they're like, yeah, we'll, 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 we're rerunning the test. And I didn't know you could do that. You probably can't. I mean, they didn't re-swab our nose. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm like, get off the phone. They're like, we should let you know here in like 50 minutes to an hour. I'm like, in 50 minutes to an hour, doors are closing on our gate and we're gone. And then we're going to be stuck in Uganda with a, with a positive COVID test through the Ministry of Health. And I don't know if that's, we don't know. Is that like the government going to quarantine us? Am I going to be there for another 14 days? I'll get another test. All these things. Um, Curtis is on vacation. I'm like, Curtis is going to have to cancel his vacation. I'm calling my wife, let her know, trying to get hold of the travel agent. And um, while I'm on the phone with the travel agent, Aaron gets an email. And he's all, I got an email. <laughs> my test is negative. I'm like, did you? He's all, did you get one? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I checked, and we both got negative tests. But then it was only on our phone. And then the ladies at the counter there, they were not going to let us in because we didn't have a printed copy. I'm like, they didn't require a printed copy to come in. Again, I think it was an issue for a bribe because... Um, or like, we don't have a printed copy. And then one of the guards came up to Aaron, and I don't know how he knew this, but it's like he knew, and he came up, and he's all, where's your printed copy? We don't got a printed copy. And we're like, we didn't require one. And he's kind of like, Ugh. and then just go. And then we go to the front desk where they're only letting you in. And again, it's, it's only by the grace of God, God's guys' prayers and stuff, because um, she was battling. I'm like, I'm not relenting. I'm like, we're going in there. I got a negative test. My picture's on it right here. It's negative. It's from your Ministry of Health. We're going in. And she just looked at me, and she's all, eh, and waved us in. So <laughs> then we started doing the run through the security, taking our shoes off, and praise God, we made it. So almost stuck in Uganda for another 14 days. But thank you guys for your prayers. It was, it was a blessed time. And like Aaron said, I would encourage you guys um, if you ever get a chance to tag along with us on uh, a missions trip, we go to Mexico quite a bit. Um, that's a really good one to do here in Juarez. It's a short trip down there and back. It's very inexpensive. We'd love to have you guys tag. I think we might do something this year with um, their VBS program that they have down there in Juarez with Servant Center. So, to God's Word, um, Psalm 23. Back to the study of Psalms. Um, Curtis did Psalm 22 on Easter. I got to hear that before we lost power. Um, I didn't get to listen to all of Dan's message. Those guys did both a great job. I hope you were blessed. Uh, today we're in Psalm 23. And I'll start off by reading to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I have a, 
uh, a book of his called Reflections on the Psalms. And in this book, um, he's addressing Psalm 23, and he says this. He says, it, Psalm 23, has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick and captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated it has visited the prisoner and broken his change and like, and like Peter's angel led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go to Psalm 23. Christian author and senior minister of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, James Montgomery Boyce, also said about Psalm 23, he said, millions of people have memorized this psalm. Even those have learned few other scripture portions. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe personal trials, suffering illnesses, or dying. For some, the words of this psalm have been the last that they have uttered in life. Psalm 23. David writes and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words of comfort would find place into our hearts and our minds today. These words of assurance, Lord, they would give us encouragement and courage, Father, to live boldly for you no matter what we're facing, no matter what's going on in this world that we're living in today. I pray, God, that these words of truth would cause us, Lord, to take bold steps of faith and to live, God, um, unashamedly for you that we would love God fearlessly in the way that you love us. God, strengthen us by your word today. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before I forget one other thing, um, I always try to do this when I go there for two reasons. We buy a lot of handmade souvenirs when we're in Uganda. 
Uh, we know places where we can go and where you're not buying like the Chinese replica of whatever it is. Uh, we try to buy handmade stuff from people who work with the mission organization there, uh, partially because um, the money that they make helps to support them um, to buy food and send their kids to school. Um, um, we bring them back because we'd like for you to have a little bit of Uganda that you can take home and remind you of the mission work that's going on there so you can pray for Beverly and the rest of those people there as you see that. And then also, truthfully, just a, another part of that is, is that the, your guys' donations uh, as you, you take one of these items that's been handmade there, um, one of these donations, the donations go to kind of help offset some of the expenses that we acquire when we travel there. So uh, my wife and maybe a few others will be outside at that table there. There's limited things that we could bring back. Um, uh, there's a suggested donation price. Uh, if you can't afford that price and you want something, just, just let Autumn know and she'll, she'll haggle with you. No. <laughs> She won't haggle with you. You can, you can have something, uh, and if you, if you feel led to donate more, you guys are always generous. God, God does awesome things here. So um, we want you to have a piece of Uganda, and, and, and so uh, the, the, there's a table outside in between services where you'll be able to, to get that. But back to Psalm 23. The very first five words of this psalm, you know, there's, there's, there's six verses, but the first five words of this psalm, it lets us know right away that God is being compared to a shepherd, right? There's a metaphor uh, of imagery that's being used to explain truth to us. And, and God is the shepherd. And King David, David, who wrote this psalm, is using this comparison in order to describe in detail, listen, all that the Lord does for us, his people, and it's amazing things, it's wonderful things, and, and, and as, as you know, this particular comparison of God being like a shepherd is used often in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in order to illustrate and illuminate how God cares for us, equips his children, and, and who in turn we are then compared to what? The sheep. God's the shepherd, we're the sheep. And, and it's interesting that in the Hebrew culture that all throughout the, the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and we know the Messiah as well, Jesus Christ, refers to him as, himself as a good shepherd. But in, in Jewish culture, this was not a, a glorious job, okay? You didn't, no one uh, uh, ascribed themselves, aspired to be a shepherd. As a matter of fact, culturally speaking, if, if you were the shepherd in the family, if you were the, the, the youngest in the family, that was the worst duty to have, to, to be the shepherd. And we know David, of course, he was a shepherd. The first time that, that God, in reference to being a shepherd, appears to have been by Moses, who spoke to the, this says, the mighty God of Jacob in Genesis chapter 29, verse 4. And, and in that, Moses called God the shepherd, the stone of Israel. The shepherd, the stone of Israel. And then Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 11, it tells us that the, the Lord will feed his flock like a shepherd. Like a shepherd feeds his flock, the Lord feeds his people. He will gather the lambs, it says, with his arms. And then again, another prophet, one of the minor prophets, Micah, in chapter 7, verse 11, the prophet speaks, and he's speaking to the Lord, and he invites the Lord to shepherd. He says, shepherd your people with your staff as in the days, in the days of old. And one of the most familiar passages that we're talking, passages that we're talking about 
um, God or his son Jesus being referenced as, as a shepherd is in the New Testament where God, uh, his son Jesus, God in the flesh, is compared to the shepherd in John chapter 10, right? In verses 11 through 16. The words of Jesus, great words of comfort, where Jesus refers to himself not just as a shepherd, but the, what? The good shepherd. And he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. There's a key word there, right? One who does not own the sheep. The sheep. I'm going to bounce off of that a little bit later on. Keep that in mind. So this guy, the hireling, the one who does not own the sheep, Jesus says, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees, right? And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling who does not care about the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. My Father knows me, and even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And we know that Jesus did lay down his life for us. And he says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I must also bring, and they, may, they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd, Jew and Gentile alike. That's what Jesus was speaking about. And these kinds of comparisons that we see in Scripture to a shepherd and his sheep are things that the Hebrew people would have been familiar with, right? They were in agrarian culture. Herding and shepherding was part of it. And so these analogies, these metaphors that David's using would have been very familiar to them. All the different aspects of it, all the little nuances of being a shepherd and being a sheep, they would have understood this. Sheep were an important part of their society, right? It helped to provide for their physical needs, but more importantly, because of the law and the Levitical system, the sacrificial system, we know that the sheep was also important to their sacrificial system, to their spiritual life, to, to worship of God. In fact, King David had been a shepherd, like I said, before he was called to be the king of Israel. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, we are told that when David was made to be king, anointed to be king over all the people, those who had gathered together at Hebron to anoint David as king reminded him of that. They're like, David, you're king, but remember. We are anointing you as king. God has called you. God has chosen you. But remember. Remember that God had chosen you as a shepherd from the fields to be the king. And at that time, God had said to David, he said, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people of Israel. It's a wonderful picture for us uh, in what God does, even as God take David, a, little, a lowly shepherd boy, and raise him up to be king. Jesus, the good shepherd, is also our, our king who shepherds us. So in this psalm, knowing firsthand what it's like to be a shepherd, David uses these metaphors in a very unique way. And he pictures the Lord as his shepherd. But in doing so, he also pictures us, God's people, as sheep. So why? Why? So that we, today, and every time we read it, when, whenever in one of these situations that Spurgeon spoke about, that we might learn about our good shepherd and see ultimately how tenderly God cares for us. But also because 
We're a lot like sheep. So we get to see God and how he is and how he cares for us, but God also gives us a picture of what we're like. And we're a lot like, like, like sheep. We're, we're, we're defenseless. We're like a defenseless animal. We're, we're like an animal that needs constant care, right? And it must be led everywhere they go, sheep do, because they get easily lost. And as we prepare our hearts this morning to receive what God has for us, us, his sheep, I think we should consider an admonition, another admonition from Charles Spurgeon who wrote this and he said, listen, please. He said, before a man can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd. If, you're gonna, if we're going to take some kind of ownership of this psalm and the promises that are in it and receive for ourselves who God is to us and say like David, the Lord is my shepherd, He's saying, this person says this, before a man can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, he must feel, he must first feel himself to be a sheep by nature. Right? For he, Spurgeon says, cannot know that God is his shepherd unless he feels in himself that he has the nature of a sheep. There's a humility. There's an acknowledgement. I'm like this because God says. He says he must relate to a sheep in its foolishness, in its dependency, and in the warped nature of its will. And if you've ever been around a sheep, what that means is you look at them and you go, why did they do that? That makes no sense. And we do. We have a warped nature in our will. In light of this, we should consider that in Psalm, in this Psalm, David is explaining to us, this, that if we, like a sheep, will follow the Lord, if we, like sheep, will trust in him as our good shepherd, he, God, our shepherd, will meet every one of our needs, no matter what the circumstances may be. What great hope that is. What great assurance that should bring us. And in order to explain this, David, David references four places in this psalm. Four places. A green pasture, a valley, a table, and lastly, a house. A house. Verse 1. Keep that in mind, those four things. A green pasture, a valley, a table, and a house. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the, beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's for his name's sake. Now, the first thing I want to point out is, is that when David said here, the Lord is my shepherd, in verse 1, he uses a specific name of God in reference, the word Jehovah. Jehovah God is my shepherd. And this word is a special name for the Hebrew people because it was, it's, it's, it's a name, it's, it's the name of God that directly refers to the covenant that God made with his people. Jehovah. It's a covenantal name of God. But the thing to note about this is that the Hebrew word Jehovah is used many different, different times throughout the Scriptures in a compound form. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that, is that there's, there's the word Jehovah and, and then a, a, another name to follow, a compound name, in order to describe the person and nature of God to us. And several of these compound names are reflected in this psalm. 
And, and, and it's that way so that we ultimately may know God in a more intimate and personal way. They're descriptive of the nature and of the person of God. For example, after David declared that Jehovah, he said, Jehovah, God, is my shepherd, he went on to say in verse 1, what, because of that, the first thing, the Lord Jehovah is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want, why? Because Jehovah is my shepherd. And in doing so, David points out that Jehovah, the God of the covenant, is the one ultimately saying, God provides for all my needs, right? If I'm not wanting, that means that all my needs are being met. By who? Jehovah. Why? Because he's Jehovah. And in doing so, he points this out. And, in, and when you look at the scriptures, when you look at, 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 at the, the, the compound forms of the name of God that reveal God to us, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, we see that when Abraham spoke about God and the covenant that God had made with Abraham, right? Abraham said this. He said, God is Jehovah Jireh. Go look it up. Genesis 22, verse 14. When the covenant was made, Abraham declared, Jehovah God is Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. It literally means the Lord will provide. That's the name ascribed to God. And in the rest of the psalm, David makes six other statements like this about Jehovah God, the good shepherd, that we can directly tie to these compound forms of the name of God. The next one that we read about, we'll just go through them here really quickly, is at the end of verse 2 where David then goes on speaking about peace, right? The peace that God brings. And he said this, He, Jehovah, my shepherd, leads me by the still waters. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, we see that God bears this name, owns this name, is ascribed this name, Jehovah Shalom, which literally means the Lord is our peace. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my peace. And these aren't just things that are given to us from God. These are things that are found in Him because of who He is. Then at the beginning of verse 3, David said, he said, he, he also restores my soul. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, God again, in a compound form of his name, is referred to as Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. He's the healer of my soul. He restores my soul. And also in verse 3, David says, Following that, he restores my soul, but he also leads me in the path of righteousness. And often, guys, our soul needs restored because we've what? We've gone astray. We've walked down the path of unrighteousness, and we've sown the seeds of the works of our flesh, and we've reaped that, and we've wrecked ourselves through sin and corruption. But he restores our soul. He doesn't leave us where we're at. And he takes us and leads us down the path of righteousness. And in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 16, God is called there Jehovah Tiskanu. Literally, Jehovah, God, the Lord, is my righteousness. And we know that, we are, we are, that his righteousness, it says that the righteousness of Christ was bestowed to us. We are righteous because we are in Him. 
And then at the end of verse 4, notice that David says this. With all of these things, the combination of it, he declares these things. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Do you, do you see how awesome our God is as this is being played out? Provider, peace giver, healer, righteousness, and all of these things, I will fear no evil for you with me. In Ezekiel 48, verse 35, the name Jehovah Shema is found, and it means this the Lord is there. Where is the Lord? There. Where you are? There. He is there. The Lord is simply, He is there. He's omnipresent. All places, at all times. With you, there. In your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your space, geographically. He's there. The Lord is there. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Lord is there. And the last two statements that David makes about the person of God are in verse 5 where he says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, Moses, he, he, he's referring to God. He refers to God after this great battle against the Malachites where this massive army of the Malachites were defeated. You remember, Moses went up on top of the mountain, right? And it says that when he raised his hands with his staff in his hands, that the Israelites prevailed against the Malachites. But when, when Moses got weak and tired, and he put his arms down. The Malachites would then prevail against the Israelites. And we know that Aaron and um, Joshua came by his side and they lifted and held Moses' arms up. And this, the staff of God, the, the staff of Moses was, uh, was, was raised up before him. And in that, we know that the Malachites were defeated. And in that, in that passage of Scripture, in Exodus 17, verse 15, when the Amalekites were miraculously defeated in that battle, God, Jehovah, is referred to as Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our banner. And it refers to this. It refers to the power of God, the demonstrated power of God that covers us and protects us in the face of our enemies, in the face of all evil. And lastly, at the end of verse 5, where David said this, the last one, he said, you anoint my head with oil. It speaks of blessing. And in, in Leviticus chapter, chapter 8, God speaking to Moses refers to himself as Jehovah Karash, which means the Lord who sanctifies. The anointing is a sanctification. It's a setting apart unto himself. We've been set apart unto himself because of who he is. Jehovah Kadash, the Lord who sanctifies. In light of all of these things, it's necessary to look back with them to verse 1. Now look back and see that when David begins by saying, the Lord, Jehovah, is my shepherd, he is going on to tell us that God is this. Actively, he's actively caring for his people in all of these ways. Because, why? This is who he is. This is who God is. He can't not do anything else but this because this is who he is. He is Jehovah God, the God of the covenant, and his, 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 he, will, he will fulfill fulfill all of the promises that he has made to us in his covenant. And we, so much so more, having a better covenant, a new covenant that is founded in the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the God of our covenant. 
And so when David goes on then to speak about God making him to lie down in green pastures, he's telling us that because God is actively shepherding, meaning he's presently in, in, this, in, this, in this present tense verbiage, he's presently, meaning, meaning in the past, in the present, in, in the future, he's actively, presently providing for us in all these promised ways that are associated to his name, to his nature, to his character. And because of that, then we, his people, can what? We can rest. We can rest. We can rest assured in him no matter what. See, that's the key. Rest isn't escaping from your situation. Rest isn't, isn't subsiding from the work that you've been called to do. Rest in God is finding that, that rest that's available to us in him in the midst of the work, in the midst of the danger, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the burden. The point is sheep don't lie down in green pastures unless they're full. Sheep eat. They lie down when they're full. When they're hungry, they get back up. It's like some of us. <laughs> if we're up, we're eating. <laughs> Amen. Amen. They eat if they feel safe and protected. But in order for a sheep to get to the green pasture, in order for a sheep to get to the still water, in order for a sheep to get to the safe path, they have to what? They have to follow the shepherd who leads them. Guys, we're the sheep. If we want these things, we got to follow. We got to follow. Likewise, when we follow God, our shepherd, we will have all of our needs met. But we must follow in faith, trusting that God is more than adequate for all of our needs. We've got to have that faith to believe, because if we don't believe that this is going to be found in God, what are we going to do? We're going to go, the Bible says, in a way that seems right to us. Furthermore, we must understand this. Please hear this this morning. A sheep is an object of property. People own sheep. The shepherd owns his sheep. A a sheep is an object of property that was bought for a price. What does that mean? A sheep is not a wild animal. Guys, we're not wild animals. We once were. And sometimes we think that we can still live like that, but that's not us. We're sheep. We follow the shepherd. We've been bought for a price. So we must hear and listen to our shepherd's voice as he calls us, as he leads us through every circumstance of life, even, it says here, even through the valleys, right? Even through the valleys. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 28, my sheep hear my voice. We hear his voice, and we do. We all hear his voice. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've received him as your Lord and your Savior and you're following after him, you follow because you hear his voice. Sometimes you're like, God's not speaking to me. We talked about that. There's reasons why you're not hearing, but he's speaking. And and, and if you want to hear God's voice, read this and do what it says. And, And you're hearing him. And there's other ways that God speaks to us. But my sheep hear my voice and I know them, Jesus said, and they follow me. And here's the cool thing about that. Jesus says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now look at verse four, which says this, right? The valleys, yea, though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. That's pretty obvious when you look at this whole psalm. This is the central verse of the psalm. Everything leads up to this, and everything after it points back to it. It's right here. And, and we need to notice that the, the personal pronoun, the thing that makes this a central verse, is, is this transition that happens here. The personal pronoun David used in the first three verses changes in this verse from he to you. Do you notice that? Look, when I point this out, so in order for us to see that David is no longer speaking about the shepherd, right? And when he changes the personal pronoun and he says you, he is now speaking to the shepherd. He was speaking about the shepherd, but now he's speaking to the shepherd. There's this intimacy. He's entering into this relationship of who God is and who he declares him to be. And so he says you. And in this verse, which is really a verse of comfort, which tells about being in the dark valley, specifically the valley, the worst valley I think that any one of us can imagine, the valley of death, where it appears to be casting its shadow upon us, David tells us that the Lord, who is the shepherd, is no longer before us, right? He is now with us. He's with us. When? Where? In the valley. The valley of the shadow of death, all valleys. He is beside us. He's with us. He's beside us as he leads us, as he leads the way for us through the dark place. In doing so, David says, all our fears are calmed by the shepherd's presence, and we can then find comfort in his rod and in his staff. He's with us. You see, the rod was a weapon that was used by the shepherd to protect the sheep from predators. And the staff was used by the shepherd to guide the sheep, to assist a shepherd if it went astray. In the valley of the shadow of death, a dark place, we need a shepherd to lead us, to be beside us, to take us by the hand as a loving father does, and say, you don't know where to go, it's dark. God, I don't know where to go, it's dark. He's all, don't worry, I got it. I know where to go. I'm here with you, beside you. And the bottom line is that the comfort we receive from God comes from knowing. The comfort that we can receive from God comes from knowing that our, Je that our shepherd is Jehovah Shammah, God who is with us. In fact, the scriptures give us another word when we think about this that describes how God has come to us, does it not? Another name of, of God, and it's the word Emmanuel. A word that we use at Christmas time, Emmanuel. And this name Emmanuel is first used in prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and this prophecy is quoted again in the book of Matthew about the birth of Jesus Christ in verse 23, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God is there. Jehovah Shammah. And the point is, is that God, guys, God came. God has come in the flesh. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the great I am, 
the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the sustainer and creator of all things has come in the flesh to be with us, to be with you, to be with me. And Jesus, who referred to himself as the good shepherd, said a good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He came to be with us and he came to give his life for us. Meaning that like any other shepherd, or uh, unlike a hireling who runs away, when danger comes, in the valley of the shadow of death there's danger. So when danger comes, unlike that, when danger surrounds us, when, when evil is upon us, we can trust that Jesus, who is the Emmanuel, that he will draw near. He's just not there. He draws near. He draws near. And he will be with us through every trial we go through, through every trouble we face, and through every tribulation, and every affliction of life that tries of us, that tries us. Anyone, the one that you're in now, the one that you'll be in down the road. He says, I will draw near. And the fact of the matter is, is the closer we are to our shepherd, the safer we are, right? One of the things that we got to see when we were in the, in the game park, oh, uh, this was funny. <laughs> there, was this, there was this herd of elephants, and there was a couple baby elephants, and um, I don't know what you call them, a, a gaggle of elephants, I don't know. <laughs> a what? A herd? A herd, okay, a herd of elephants. And we, and they're like in the road. We can't pass because wild elephants, they're dangerous, okay? They look all nice and docile, and you want to go up and pet them. That's what it looks like. But until you realize that they're wild elephants. And we get enough space. We drive on by. We park because we're going to go on the river. And there's this Ugandan, and, and there are, the game wardens are there. And, and this guy, they said later that he's, he's, this guy's drank too much, and that's why he did what he did. But he wanted to pass on that same road that we drove down. He was walking, and, and he begins to, he gets walking, and all of a sudden he gets too close to these elephants. And everything changed like that. I mean, there's like eight or nine of them. And everything changed like that, and these docile, beautiful creatures went into like a whole different mode. And they turned around, and they faced this guy, and they started making noise and getting angry, and that baby elephant came right into the middle of all of these things. In the midst of the danger, the mama, the baby elephant drew near. And in, in the, in the, in the, the larger elephants drew near. And they all surrounded this elephant and protected the baby. The game warden said, they said to reach out, they, spit, they yelled out at the man. They're like, they're like, hey man, what are you doing? He says, these are not cows. <laughs> he was about, we were about to see someone get beat up by some elephants. But anyway, the closer we are to our shepherd, guys, the safer we are. The closer you are to God, the safer you are in your mind, with your thoughts, in your heart, with your emotions, physically, in your presence. Safety is in the presence of God. And the more peace is, and, 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 and the safer we are, the more peace we have in his presence. 
It fills our hearts. And we're reminded of this by the words of Moses spoken to Joshua and the Hebrew people when they were preparing to enter into the promised land where the giants lived, right? Where there were a people residing who God said are greater than you. And at that time, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, he said, be strong. Be of courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. And He will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now understand what's being told to us here. We need to keep the context of this psalm in place. It's one of the things that I love about teaching God's Word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Remember, David is comparing God to a what? A shepherd. Yet when it comes to this verse, there are some who believe there's a change now in the metaphor from shepherd and his sheep to like host and the guest, right? But there's no evidence for this. And when you research this word table, which is the Hebrew word shakon, you can come to understand that this does not necessarily refer to as a piece of furniture, something that we might be thinking of in our mind. Rather, it refers to a flat place. A flat place where food can be spread out. And so, so it's not just about being in the pasture and grazing. Now it's a prepared place. A flat place where there's food being spread out. And so keeping with the thought that the Lord is my shepherd, we see that this reference to now preparing a table in the presence of my enemies is likely referring to a safe place where food has simply been spread out for the sheep. And what we know is that sheep um, were never left in the fields overnight. They were not just out wandering around in the fields at night because they would be vulnerable to predators. So the shepherd would bring them into these sheepfolds, these pins. And there would be usually rocks that were piled up that would contain the sheep. And they would all come inside there at night. A sheepfold. And there, would be, there they would be fed. They would be protected from, by, from the predators, by the walls, and, and, and by the shepherd, we're told, who would, she, who would then sleep across the very opening of, 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 of the gate that went into the pen. He was the door. And, and this protection is what made it possible for the sheep in this situation that we read here to feel safe and secure enough then to eat and sleep even though the enemy might be right outside. Think about that in relationship to our lives, in the world that we're living in today. But this did not mean that the thieves, just because... This is the scenario. It did not mean that the thieves or the dangerous animals couldn't get in. Okay, The shepherd was at the door. The walls were there. The enemy was outside. And, and, and yet we know that the, there was a chance still that the enemy could get in. It says they will not enter through the sheepfold of the gate, but they could climb over the walls, right? And the point, guys, of me mentioning this to you is that, is that even, even though God protects us, because he does, he protects us. Even though God protects us, he does not always remove the dangers from our lives. Do you know that? He doesn't always remove the dangers from our lives, but he, by his presence, helps us to overcome these dangers and in turn not be paralyzed by our fears. We can see the danger. And we can be, we know the enemy's outside. And we can be paralyzed by our fears. 
But when we remember that our Lord, our shepherd is with us, then we can have peace even in the midst of the danger. And when David speaks at the end of this verse about having his head then anointed with oil and having his cup running over, it's a reminder for us of the goodness of God. That's what we're being told. And of God's blessing. My cup runneth over, even in the presence of danger. And the reality of the situation is that even if the enemy is in our presence, even if we find ourselves in the midst of a dangerous situation, um, we can rest assured, right? We can rest assured that since God is for us, then there is no one or nothing that can be against us. And the bottom line is, is there's nothing that can separate us from the love of the shepherd, from the love of God who is our shepherd, Romans chapter 8 says it like this, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Again, our, our cup being filled overflowing. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Someone condemns you, brings a charge against you. You know what you say? Jesus is my advocate. He's my lawyer. He stands in the presence of God making intercession for me. You don't have a chance. The enemy doesn't have a chance. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. See, the world looks at us and it says, you Christians are sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And in verse 6, we end, it says, David says, because of this, surely... Are you the sheep? This is for you. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as we look at this concluding verse, I think it's important to remember that David's the author. Okay, we know this, but consciously think about this right now. Everything that you can conjure up in your mind and your thoughts about David right now, in the, in the, in the, in the contrast to this verse or in the context of the verse, let it into your mind. David's the author. King David, who experienced much turmoil in his life, did he not? His life wasn't easy peasy. Much turmoil in his family. You ever have turmoil in your family? No? Liar. Oh. <laughs> he experienced rebellion and betrayal from his own son, from two of his closest friends. David, who had sinned greatly against God, 
you ever sin against God greatly? David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had, she, he had her husband murdered in order to cover up and hide his sin. David, the same guy who says these things right here, right now, this guy. And David rightly concluded, in spite of his troubles that came his way, in spite of his sin, in spite of his failures, in spite of his weaknesses, in spite of all these things, David rightly concluded in this psalm that he had been followed by the goodness and the mercy of God all of the days of his life. And when he realized that God's goodness and mercy would continue with him no matter what the circumstances might be, no matter what his failures were, no matter what the circumstances, David was able to conclude this because he had a right he, he had a right perspective. Guys, when we're not concluding these same things for us who are in Jesus Christ, our perspective is wrong. We've shifted our focus onto ourselves and onto this life and off of God who is the good shepherd. And David was able to conclude these things because he had an eternal perspective. He put his focus on the gracious, merciful, and loving nature of God. And I challenge you, I encourage you, if you're feeling hopeless and in despair because of your situation, because of your circumstances, because of your sin, that you would change your perspective. And as David looked to whatever might come in the future, he ultimately knew that one day he would be in heaven. Guys, that, that should make your heart overfull this morning with joy and praise one day we will be in heaven. One day soon we will be in heaven. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what David says. The point is, guys, there's many things in this life that perplex us. Many things in this life that we're living in today that disturb us. Things that we don't understand completely. Things that trouble our hearts, including and probably more so our own sin and our own failures. But all of these things will become clear when we get to heaven. And at that time, we'll be able to look back and see this. We will only be able to see the goodness and the mercy of God. Seth, if you want to come back up, John chapter 14, I want to end with this. Please hear this, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled, you who believe in God. Let not your heart be troubled, you who believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mentions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And Jesus says, I go to play, prepare a place for you, for me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may also be, and where I go you know the way. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know the way. We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Remember, guys, under the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the sheep died for the shepherd. Right? 
But our covenant is a better covenant. It's a covenant that we've entered in through the blood of Jesus. And in this covenant, we see that it's the shepherd who died for the sheep. And because of that, we will meet our shepherd in heaven. Revelation 7.17, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This morning, if you are here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted Him into your heart and opened up yourself to Him, I would encourage you to do so today, that you may have these same promises, these same assurances, that you would receive Jesus as your Savior who died on the cross for your sins, that you would let Him be the Lord of your life, that you would pray to Him this morning and ask Him to forgive you and to receive you and to know that even in the midst of your faults and your failures that He's been pouring out goodness and mercy upon you. And know that when you call out to Him, these things are available to you because of who He is, the Good Shepherd. Today, would you become one of His sheep? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, in this spot who doesn't know You, is not yet trusted in You, that as we sing this last song today, together, God, that they would call out to You, receive You, accept You. And Lord, that You fill their hearts with peace and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. The mighty hand in an outstretched arm. His love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn, His love endures forever. Sing praise.